So today I'm going to talk about partnership. Partnership with God. This is still related to our message last week on God's purpose. And I want to show you, I want to show you that the, that the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible is a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-making God. And if some of you are not familiar with the word covenant, you know, one definition of covenant um, that you can find in the Bible dictionary is, is an agreement, of course. You know that in general it's an agreement. It's a kind of agreement. Uh, it's also a pledge or an alliance. You know, when two countries you know, come together and they decide to do something together, they come into an alliance, you know, like the USMCA or the China agreement that we just have recently. You know, this is an alliance. They, there's a give and take. You know, we make this agreement and you, we're going to do something for you, but you have to do something for us as well, right? So it's somewhat like that. Uh, it's a treaty also. So but, well, we can say that a covenant is a part, partnership that is based on a treaty. You know, there's an agreement. There's a, there's a pledge between two parties. And, and if you look at covenants in the Bible and even today, Agreements, you know, any kind of agreement. Uh, it, it's either there's a two-party agreement or there's a one-party agreement. Or one-side agreement or two-side agreement. Uh, and I'm going to explain a little bit. You know, two-sided agreement, both agrees to certain terms. I'm going to do this, you have to do this, and I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this as well. But a one-sided agreement, only one side does something. Well, the other side probably doesn't need to do anything or he doesn't need to do anything. And still, the other side will still fulfill his side of the agreement, even if the other side fails. And there are agreements like that in the Bible as well, So, as we shall see. So, as Christians, oh, I'm just, okay, as human beings in general, you know, God created us to have free will, right? We all agree to that. You have the freedom to choose. You're not controlled like a robot by, by God. We are intelligent beings. I assume you're all intelligent beings as well, right? Yeah? One plus one. <laughs> you know, we are like angels as well. They're intelligent beings. They're free-thinking beings as well, meaning they can choose to do what they want to do. But what's interesting about who God is is that God is a covenant-making God, and he's a God also that wants to work in partnership with his creation. That's something of we oftentimes ignore. You know, we don't really see God that way. But God didn't only give and hasn't also given no, he didn't only give us free will, but he wants to work in partnership with you, with us, with humanity, to accomplish his purpose. And this was God's plan from the beginning. I want to work with you, Adam. I want to work with you, Eve. You're going to be partners with me in taking care of this world. We just read this passage uh, Joey read earlier, right? Uh, they were working in partnership with God in managing creation. So how is this partnership accomplished with, between God? So this is accomplished, as I said, through covenants and agreements. Covenants and agreement. And as you'll find out, the Bible is filled with covenants and agreements between God and man, people to people. But, but what's the most prominent covenants you find in the Bible is the covenant, are the covenants between God and man. In fact, our Bible is divided into two covenants, right? The old covenant 
and the new covenant. Basically, we, we call it testament, but it's the same meaning. Old covenant and the new covenant or the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the covenant, uh, God being a covenant making God is central to scripture, basically. It's central to our faith as Christians. It's, it's, it's at the core uh, of what we, what we pra- how we practice, how we live our life, what we believe. So covenants and partnership, as well as agreements, is very common in our day-to-day life as, as human beings. You know, we cannot escape from any kind of covenant or agreement. It happens all the time in this world. You might not notice it, but it happens all the time. Like, for instance, money. I'm going to get money here. Dollar. And I have peso here, 500 pesos. This is 500. This is 100. A one. <laughs> and this is probably half the price of this. <laughs> is it right? Oh, no, 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 not half the price. Sorry. This is $10, right? I mean, $10, sorry. Yeah, this is $20. 20 pesos, right? Okay. So money, for instance, is a good example. Huh? Oh, it's 50, right? You're right, sorry. I'm giving you wrong information. Sorry, I forgot already. I was thinking back in 1986 (laughs) when it was 20 pesos per dollar. So this is 50 and, of course, $10. Okay, so, so money, for instance... This, is, this used to be called a promissory note or, or some kind of a promissory note, right? Or notes. And to think, think about this, this paper here, in, inherit, this doesn't have any inherent value, right? It's just a piece of paper. Pretty much no value, worthless. But what gives money value? What, the, what gives money value? It is the agreement. The agreement. The coven, in a way, the covenant. Every time some, you give money to someone, you are actually entering into an agreement. And historically, money was represented by actual gold and silver. That's how money was historically. So every time I give money to someone, basically you're making a promise. Say, hey, David, I'm going to give you this money. And I'm, I'm making a promise that you can exchange this for gold later on or you can, this will, you will be paid in gold later on. That's basically what money is. Because you're making, it's, basically it's a promise. And, and we as a society, we have entered into this agreement, even the world as a whole. But this thing represents something. And what if you all choose to decide, oh, money doesn't res- represent anything? Then this, is, this becomes worthless. Right? So what gives this value is the agreement that, this, that you are making a promise whenever you give, give this. That eventually it's going to be paid for in gold. And, and we see also partnership and agreement in your workplace, right? If you, you're going to be hired to do your job, right? And there's this agreement. If you do your job, you're going to be paid. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're, you'll remain employed, basically. But what if you choose not to do your work in that job? You lose your employment, you lose your money, right? So there's this partnership and agreement as well. You, marriage, for instance, is another example of a covenant and agreement. You know, I'll leave my parents. I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. And we're going to be together you know, till death do us part. We, we don't want to be separated till, till death. 
although many of us probably broke that agreement, right? But, but that is what marriage is. It's also an agreement, a covenant. School, for instance, is also an agreement. You agree? Okay, you come to school. You're going to be promoted. We're going to certify you. We're going to give you a diploma or something as long as you pass the requirements. As long as you pass, as long as you pass the test. So we cannot escape partnership and agreements. It's very common in this world. And this comes, this idea comes from God himself. Okay? So what is partnership? What is partnership? You know, the Bible doesn't really mention partnership a lot. I tried to search the word partnership in the Bible in the New Testament. There's probably three or four verses only, or probably even a little more, that, this, that has the word partnership. So it's not very common if you just search the word partnership in the Bible. But what you'll find out later on, that this word is actually very common than you think. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Just that, it's just that the word partnership is not explicitly uh, written. Now, I would like us to look at the meaning of the word partnership. And I'm going to start with some, some of the meanings, and this is going to be my outline today. Meaning, um, uh, based on the definition of partnership, so, or, the different kinds of or the definition of partnership, different kinds. And I'm going to start with a word, with the first word, participation, meaning partnership with God means participation. So, we learned last week, I hope you were, some of you were here last week, and I hope you still remember the message. Um, we learned last week that the purpose of God is not a to-do list. You know, some people expect that God is going to give them a to-do list. In terms, Lord, I want to know your purpose, give me a list. We know that it doesn't work that way, right? God's purpose for your life is a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a list. It's not a goal. It's not a task list. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and as we walk and relate with Jesus moment by moment, what did we learn last week? That through your relationship with Christ, you get to see what God is doing. You have this vista. You have this view of what God is doing. And, and, you know, as you meditate on his word, as you pray, as you fellowship, as you, as you come to the Lord, as you come to know the Lord better, as you obey him, you get a clearer picture of what God is doing. And we talk about the illustration of Nehemiah, right? Uh, when, when the, that broken wall, when you see that there's something that's broken there, you get, you, you, fix, you fix it, right? You fix that portion of the wall. Uh, if you need to know more, just listen to the message uh, online from, from last week. Now, our responsibility, once we come to know the will of God, once we come to see what God is doing around us, our responsibility is simply to join Him, to take part in what He is doing. And... Not only that God is going to show us what he's doing, but he gives us the desire, he gives us the heart, he gives us the ability to do his will. God will give us the, 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 the longing to do what he wants us to do. And so our priorities change, the things we want to do each day changes, and it aligns more with God's purpose. And as you accomplish his purpose, you experience his love, his joy, his wisdom, his power. It gives you fulfillment. It gives you fulfillment. 
And we learned last week also that there is no personal purpose outside of God's purpose. You cannot say, oh, I'm, this is my purpose for my life. I'm going to pursue this. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry to tell you it doesn't work that way. The only way you'll know your purpose is for you to come to the Lord and join Him in what He is doing. Because you cannot find your purpose by just sitting down and figuring it out yourself outside of God. Outside of God. And, and what we found out also that our life purpose is embedded in God's purpose. It's, it's inside God's purpose. And, and that's why He commands us to participate in what He's doing. That's where the word participation comes in. Basically, what God wants us to do is to participate in what He is doing. So when you are in partnership with God, He wants us to participate in what He's doing. Um, because, you know, without this kind of participation, if you're not going to participate in what God is doing, you basically don't have any purpose. If you say, I don't want to participate with God, what God is doing, I'm just going to be on my own, figure out things on my own, you lose your purpose. You lose your purpose. You, don't, you will not have joy. You will not have peace. And, and, and your life will have, don't have, you're not going to have any direction. You know, this is what Jesus said in, in, in John chapter uh, 5, verse 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man, uh, oh, sorry, this, no, I, I, I already passed that verse. Can you go to the John 15, 5? Did I have it there? Okay, I'll just, you know, if it's not there. Bible says that in John 15, 5, that I am the vine, we are the branches, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And the Bible says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. So, so if we're not going to participate in what God is doing, if we're not going to see what he's doing and we're not going to, or if we see it and we're not going to join him, Bible says we can do nothing. Your life has no eternal significance. Everything that you do in life, without, if you're without Christ in your life, if you're not participating in what he's, he's doing, everything you do will just end in the grave. will just end six feet below the ground. No matter what your attainment in life, even if you're a CEO of a company or you're the rich, richest man in the world or you're the greatest, you know, engineer in the world or something but if you're not participating in what God is doing all your efforts in life is just going to end six feet below the ground if, yeah, or, or in ashes it's just going to end in ashes I hope that's clear another thing about partnership which okay okay this is good sorry to confuse you with the slides okay Another thing about partnership is partnership with God is making a contribution. So we learned that partnership is, is first is, is be participating in what God is doing. But secondly, it is making a contribution. Making a contribution. Now, when you think of contribution, you, only, you always think of money. You always think about resources. But it's more than that. In fact, your contribution is your very own life. Meaning you need to contribute your life, your strength, your abilities, your time, your resources, your treasure to God for His purpose. When you partner with God, He wants you to contribute your life. 
your life. So, you know, we studied the book of Acts last year. I hope you still remember what we learned from the book of Acts. And we learned of Barnabas. Who among you remembered, remember Barnabas? Yeah, oh, there's only a few that's raising their hands. But some of you, you probably knew of Barnabas on your one-on-one discipleship when we did our uh, uh, disciple maker. And regards to Barnabas, you know, Barnabas was a mentor. Did you know that he was a mentor of the Apostle Paul? Siya yung disciple ni Apostle Paul. He was the one who, who initially brought up the Apostle Paul in, in the faith. And he became a partner of the Apostle Paul in, in his first missionary journey. So that's, that's the background of Barnabas uh, as relates to Paul. And we learn of Barnabas, he contributed to, contributed to the word of God. He made a contribution to the work of God. And, and, and if you remember what happened to Paul, you know, Paul was persecuted in Jerusalem. He was a very new Christian back then. He was persecuted in Jerusalem. And the, and the brothers in Jerusalem had to send him away to go to Tarsus. To hide, actually to escape in Tarsus because his, his life was in danger in, in, in Jerusalem. So he went to Tarsus. And we can assume that while Paul was in Tarsus, he was probably at, his, at a low point in his Christian life. Or maybe he probably served God there. But, but he was not active at that point in time in ministry because there was really nothing was recorded around that time. And so what Barnabas did, he made an effort. It, it took a while for this to happen. But he made an effort to go to Tarsus and search for the Apostle Paul. He not niya. He looked for he searched for the Apostle Paul. And when he found Apostle Paul, he encouraged him to go back and not to Jerusalem, but to go back to, to, went, to go to Antioch. And that's when that's where Paul, we can say that's where he really began his, his, his ministry. And this was under the leadership of Barnabas. Then eventually Paul was, was also himself growing as a Christian. So you see, Paul uh, Barnabas made this effort to look for Paul. And we learned of Barnabas also that he was the person that was sent from Jerusalem to go to Antioch to encourage Gentile believers. Because Barnabas himself, he was a Jew, he was a Levite, but he was born, he, he grew up in, the, in, the, in, in Cyprus. He grew up, in, he was a native of Cyprus. And so, so he, knew, he knew the life of the Gentiles, he knew the language of the Gentiles, the culture of the Gentiles. Uh, and, and so he was probably the best person who can connect with the Gentiles who were, who were in uh, Antioch. He had a multicultural, multilingual background. So he was the, he was the best person who can minister to, many gen, to the Gentiles in, in Antioch. That's why he was sent from you know, Jerusalem to Antioch. So Barnabas was making a contribution in this way with his life, encouraging the, you know, the believers in Antioch trying to reach out to Paul and bring him back to, to the fold and because he was out for a while and bringing him back to connect back with the apostles and other Christians. And when Barnabas and Paul went to, um, to their, their first missionary journey, the, he faced persecution. He suffered persecution with the apostle, with the apostle Paul. And what you can see with, in Barnabas' life, he contributed his life, his strength, his ability, his time. And not only that, he contributed also financially. Uh, and this is recorded in Acts uh, 4, verse 36 to 37. It says there, Thus Joseph, that was his, his uh, original name, Thus Joseph, who was, who, also called, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, 
sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He also contributed his resources. And so when, when we make a contribution to God, it involves everything in our life, our very life. And if you remember also that when Paul started his second missionary journey, there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, so they split. And Paul took on a new partner. His name was Silas. And they visited again the churches that Paul planted in the first missionary journey. So in the first missionary journey, the gospel was preached and churches were established in the Asia Minor area. And the second missionary journey, Paul came back to those churches. And for what reason? Acts 15, this is what it says. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we preach the word of the Lord. The, the cities that they visited on the first missionary journey. He said, let's go back there. And you know what Paul said in the last statement? I like that he said, let's go to see how they are. Let's go there and see how they're doing. How are brothers doing? And of course, later on in that passage, he said, they actually went to Syria, Cilicia. So this is the northern part of, of Asia Minor, you know, that that portion where today is Turkey. And what did they do? Strengthening the churches. You know that what it means, right? Encouraging with the word of God. They preach the word, they encourage, you know, uh, try to comfort those who are struggling maybe. You know, all kinds of things, just things, just to bring encouragement to the brothers in those cities. And this is my challenge for you. Let us be like Paul and Barnabas. Let's partner with God by contributing your life, your strength, your abilities, your time, your resources for God's purpose. Let's have the same heart as Paul. And this is the question for you. Are you, cons are you concerned for the life of your brothers and sisters? Do you have that kind of concern in your Christian life now? Paul was concerned. He was a new Christian, yet he was concerned for the brothers in, in the different cities. And, and even... Our, our challenge is, our, our, the demand for us is not too big, right? We're not, God is not expecting us to be concerned, maybe at this point in your Christian life for entire cities. But are you concerned for other Christians? Are you concerned for the other people here in the church? You look around, there are, there's many of us here. And if you look around, are you concerned for their spiritual lives? Are you partnering God in this way? Are you thinking in yourself, how is... How is David in his Christian life? Or how is Carlo in his Christian life? Or how is Joy? Or how is Roel in his relationship with God? Or how is Arlene? And this is not the job, the job of the pastor only, by the way. It is your responsibility to be concerned with other believers. How are they doing? Are they growing? Are they struggling with something? There's many things you can do. You don't need to preach in front to, 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 to encourage someone else, right? You can encourage through prayer by just praying for that person or even talking, calling, meeting up with that person, having lunch or having breakfast. Not too often or we'll gain weight there. <laughs> That's my challenge. I have to eat salad when I meet with Roel. <laughs> or else I'll be in trouble. <laughs> so... 
are you concerned with the, for the lives of other believers? Question is, as a believer, have you been thinking only of yourself all the time? Think of your Christian life since the beginning you became a Christian. Has your concern, was your concern only yourself, your family? Is, the, is this the kind of life that you have lived so far as a Christian? If this is the kind of, kind of life you've been living as a Christian, only concerned with your family, with your own needs, with your own self, I think you need to change that. Because you cannot stay that long as a Christian. You lose your joy and God will not bless you. God will not bless you. You will not experience the fullness of God's blessing. And maybe the reason why you're struggling as a family or there are issues in your family and you're questioning why God is not blessing my family is because you're probably self-centered as a Christian. You're just concerned with your own needs and your own family's needs. You know, once you begin to give yourself to others, there's a different level of blessing from God there. And I, I will not... I will not fault maybe a new Christian because you're still struggling and you're still trying to grow in your faith. But if you've been a Christian for two years, three years, four years, 20 years, and still your Christian life is a self-centered Christian life, then you need to begin thinking, are you, am I really partnering with God? Am I really contributing to the, to the purpose of God? You know, we, we, we all know this passage. The Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, for all our life as Christians, we're probably just receiving, 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 receiving. But you need to come to a point, you cannot stay that way long for long because you're going to stagnate. I always use this illustration. I think some of you heard me say this. It's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. You know, a Sea of Galilee receives water, but it also puts out water. It, it throws water out on the other side, and, and, and it's a very healthy sea. There's fishes there, right? But the, but the Dead Sea, it's always receiving water, but never giving out water, and it's just drying up, and, and that's why it's called Dead Sea. <laughs> it's dead because it's always receiving, but never giving. And I think, we, and I'm not talking here about just money. I think money is the smallest concern you're going to have there. You might say, Al, I'm giving money to the church. I'm giving money to the ministry. Yeah, that's good. That's one of the things God wants you to do. But it's more than that. God is asking you to give your life, to give your time, give your strength, give your abilities, talent. There's so much else that you need to give. Money is just a very small portion. I think we need to expand our thinking when we read that passage. Blessed to give than to receive. I think what matters most is your life. Are you giving your life to Christ fully in serving Him? Are you concerned with the life of other, for the life of other Christians in this church? Or not just in this church, even outside the church. Are you concerned for the lives of those who are lost, who are unbelievers? By the way, there's still unbelievers among us, by the way, if you don't know it. There's still people in our church who does not, who's not surrendered their life to Christ. That's very concerning. And I know that's my responsibility, but it's also your responsibility. It's all, all of us are part of this. Maybe another thing also, maybe the reason why you're not experiencing God's blessing aside from, you know, be having, having this self-focused kind of Christian life. Maybe the other reason is if you're serving, maybe you're not giving your best. 
Maybe what you're giving is just a small, is, is just the bare minimum that you can give to God. And how can God bless you if you're just, if everything you do for God is just half-hearted? Parang tira-tira na lang, or just the, you're just giving God the extra, but not the best of what you can give and do. Anytime you make a contribution to God, it has to be your best. It has to be an ex- something that's excellent. And I know I, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not perfect on this front, but I, I really want to do my best on everything in this church. And that's why this past week, uh, two weeks actually, I really spent a lot of time looking at every ministry. Like uh, yesterday, we had our media team ministry, and it was a really good meeting. And uh, co- of course, we got lots of uh, feeling. <laughs> And thank you to Joy and, and Roel for hosting the meeting. But we covered a lot of things. And that was only the media team, right? You notice we had lots of stuff there that we had to talk about. But that was only the media team. And you got, got the ushers, you got the praise and worship that needs to be dealt with as well. And, and, and so, and even our sports ministry, which is now being handled by David. And Jennifer also is taking over the, the church building fund uh, effort for our church. So... And by the way, I'm going to introduce them soon, all, all those who are leading every ministry in our church. We're going to do that. Um, so, God requires us to give our life to him. And if we want to experience blessing, let's contribute our life to him. And contribute with quality, with excellence. Hindi basta-basta. In Tagalog, hindi basta-basta. And maybe that's the reason why you're not enjoying, you know, the fullness of God's blessing. Half-hearted commitment is better than no commitment. It's, it's no different than no commitment at all. Right? I would rather have someone fully committed than half-hearted, uh, than, you know, fully committed. And half-hearted commitment is better to just find another person if it's just a half-hearted commitment, Right? Covenants. I just want to make a, a side comment on covenants. Um, I'll try to go through this quickly. You know, you'll find a lot of covenants in uh, covenant examples of covenant in Scripture. In fact, the very first covenant is the covenant with Adam and Eve, and we just read it earlier that God gave everything for Adam and Eve to to be successful as as managers of all creation, told them to go and multiply, fill the earth, rule over the fish of the sea. This is in Genesis chapter 1. And the birds of the air and every creature that crawls on earth. this This is the mission that God had for Adam and Eve. But there was an agreement between God and them. You know, someone asked me, Al, why is it that if God knew Adam is going to commit sin, why did God put that tree in the garden to tempt them or something? You know, it's, it's not good if Adam only had positive choices. Because for God to be in this covenant with Adam, Adam had, had to have a choice. He had to have a choice. You know, he needs a choice where he can also turn away from that covenant. There has to be a choice or else it's not free will. There has to be an opportunity for Adam to run away or to turn away from that covenant. And so that the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents that other choice for Adam. Because it's unfair for Adam if God will only put all the positive things there and no, no option to do, what, to do the opposite, right? It's not free will. It's just, it's just uh, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but 
But it's not, God had to give another option for Adam. And, and so this covenant was that, in verse, this is in chapter 2. Uh, we read about this, the Lord commanded him, you may eat freely from the tree of every garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat, it, eat of it, you will surely die. So there was this agreement between God and Adam. Adam, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to use you, you're going to be partners with me as long as you fulfill this covenant agreement. And there's only one requirement. You can eat everything, you can enjoy everything except this one tree. And what Adam did and Eve did, they went to that one tree, ate the fruit, broke the covenant, broke the partnership with God. Adam is not innocent here, by the way. If you're in a business partnership with someone else, if the, someone else broke the, the, the agreement, what are you going to do? Break that partnership, right? Because he broke the agreement. Same thing with God. That, that partnership got broken. And that's why we as Christians, we are this restored partnership with God. God is restoring this partnership that was broken from the beginning. And that's you right now as believers. We now in, are back in partnership with God. But this was broken from the beginning. Abraham, um, yeah, I'm going to skip that. Abraham also had a covenant with God. What's interesting about Abraham's covenant, it's a one-sided covenant, by the way. And the, the one-sided covenant, Abraham, this is what God said. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing and will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people of the earth will be blessed through you. You know, you're somebody's gonna ask something, sometimes people are going to ask me, why do you support Israel? Because that is the nation that God established through Abraham. And have you ever wondered why Israel never lost a battle? There are lots of countries that hate Israel around that area. Pretty much all the countries around there hate Israel, wants to destroy Israel. But you know that never, they never lost a single battle since the beginning. They're a very small nation. They're, not, they're, they're probably slightly bigger than Mindanao in terms of land area. Maybe you can check on that. At least I measured that a long time ago. <laughs> but they're very small. And think of the countries around it. Iraq, Iran, Syria, Jordan, Egypt. Turkey, Lebanon, you know, they're all against that nation. But how come they're always winning all the battles and wars? This is the promise of God for Abraham. I will bless you, those I will bless, those who bless you, but I will curse those who curse you. God is fighting the battles for them. And maybe many of you might not agree with what the Jews maybe stand for today. There are lots of Jew there are Jewish candidates right now that I disagree with. But still, it doesn't change the promise of God. It doesn't change the promise of God to Abraham. And this was a one-sided covenant because when God, in Genesis chapter 15, when there was this ceremony or ritual that God told Abraham to do, it was to seal the sort of an, uh, 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 a sacrifice to, to mark that covenant between Abraham and God. What, God. what did God do? He caused Abraham to sleep. <laughs> Abraham fell asleep. And it was only God who completed the, the, that entire ritual, the entire sacrifice. It's a, it was a one-sided covenant because it was only God promised, Abraham, I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to do this to you. No matter what you, it doesn't matter what you do. It is my promise to accomplish. Regardless of what, you, who you are, what you've done or you know, what you're going to do. 
So it's a one-sided covenant. Only God is going to fulfill it. Another covenant is, is uh, his covenant with Moses. Uh, I'm just going to read to you what God told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Obey his commands, and I'm going to bless you. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, if you are, you are drawn away to bow to other gods, idols, and worship them, I'll declare you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. If you're going to disobey me, Israel, you're going to be destroyed. I'm going to destroy you. And you will not live long in the land that you're crossing to the Jordan or enter and possess. What did Israel do? Eventually, they disobeyed and they were banished from the land. They lost. And that's why for 2,000 years, Israel does not have their own land. They're scattered all over the world, the Jews, for 2,000 years. Or more around that number. Because they disobeyed God. And in fact, there was a prophecy by Jesus. That because you didn't recognize my coming. They didn't recognize the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of God. They were banished. And in fact, in the conclusion of the statement. This day, this is God speaking. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and child, your children may live. This is true for Israel. This is true for you believers. God is setting, giving us options. Partner with him. Stay away from not partnering with God. God is saying partner with me. Choose life. Choose blessing. Reject death. Reject curses. Okay. And the Last covenant that I, I just want to show you, which is the most important one. This is the new covenant with Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible, the second part of the Bible is called the New Testament. Because this is a new covenant. And what is this covenant? This is the verse that you hear me every time. I hear me read every time we have Lord's Supper. And this, is, this describes the stipulations of the new covenant we have with Jesus Christ. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, um, he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Let me see. Given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what's the, newest, the new covenant that's in the New Testament now? S simple. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The covenant is for you to believe in the son of God and you will have eternal life. You have salvation. You have, you, that for you to trust him as your savior through the shedding of his blood, your sins has been cleansed. And you'll be forgiven, cleansed of all your sins. But to simplify the covenant is simply trusting Jesus, believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. So that's our, that's our covenant today. This is the covenant that we hold on as Christians. Okay, side comment is done. 
finish the sermon. I'll <laughs> Partnership with God is fellowship. Did you know that the word partnership in the Greek is it's the word koinonia? And it's actually translated in the Bible many times, the word fellowship. So when you use the word fellowship in this church, it actually means partnership. That's really what it is. It's not having coffee together. I know some people think fellowship is eating together, having coffee, or enjoying a conversation. It's way, way more than that. The word fellowship is partnership with one another. First uh, John 1, 1 3. For we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and in His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, the word fellowship means sharing something in common. Meaning the reason why we fellowship because we have something in common. There's something common between all of us. We have the common faith, common belief, common word of God, and common salvation. We all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's common about us. God is our Father. That's common. what's common about us. So when you think of the word fellowship, it's something that's shared in common. And this partnership, by the way, within us, among us as a church, requires commitment. This is the reason why, and this is where I want to end this message. This is the reason why we have a church. This is the reason why we have River Life Church. Why we exist. Because we, we made a decision, and I hope this is, we're going to formalize our membership as a church soon, but, but I want, to, want you to give you a, a better perspective of what it means to be a member of a church. We are committing ourselves to partner with one another in fulfilling God's purpose in this city. That is really why there's a thing called the local church. This is called the local church. The church, by the way, is the body of Christ, meaning all believers that ever existed since the beginning of time and until the end of time, anyone that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved is what we call the church. Many of them are died, have died already. Many of the members of the church have died already. It's the, it's, it is the whole picture, the church. And one small portion of this church, of the universal church, is a local church, which is us. We're a small part of this church, the physical side of the church. And basically, the reason why we're gathering together because we are partnering with one another. And this is the reason why people who tend to hop around churches, I go to this church, go to that church this Sunday, go to a different church next Sunday, they're not growing in their Christian life. And, they're not, and I've been there, and you're not going to grow in your Christian life. You're just a church hopper. If you're just going to listen to sermons online, you're not going to grow in your Christian life as well. If you just listen to sermons on someone in, the, in a church, then you don't know that pastor, you don't know the members, you're not committed to that group, I assure you, you're not going to grow as well. Because it is part of God's plan that he will use the church to establish you in your, in your growth as a believer. And we need to be committed to this. That's why you need to make a commitment to a specific local church. And if this church might not work for you, then find another church. But what's important is you make a commitment. Establish yourself. Contribute. Participate. Amen? 
Listen to this passage. This is a very powerful passage. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. Who is the shepherd there? Who is, what's the shepherd there? Pastors, basically. Teachers. What's the purpose of people like this, including me? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Who does the work? Who, who does the work here? The saints. Who is the saints here? You, all of you, you are all saints. To equip you for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, so that we may, be, we may no longer be children tossed and to and fro by the waves, carried out, carried out by every wind of doctrine. God wants to establish you, that you will not easily follow false doctrines, that you know the truth and you will stand on the truth and obey the truth by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitfulness schemes, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way to him, the head, into Christ. Into Christ. There's one more verse. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, which it is equipped. With each, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Meaning God wants all of us to work properly. And that's the job of the pastor to make sure that all of us work properly so that we'll grow healthy. And that's why it's, this, is, this is really important, this message of partnership. Because it's not enough to just read the Bible, pray on your own, which is important, by the way, but it's not enough. We need to be like the Sea of Galilee. We don't want just to be, keep on receiving. We need to begin giving. And that's how we grow. Uh, that's how we're going to grow. By receiving and by giving. Receiving the word of God, giving the word of God. Receiving life from pastoral and life from your brothers and sisters through the word of God. And giving life also to others. Giving life to others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, time on your word, O oh God. Lord, I ask you, Lord God, to... Continue speaking to us, Lord. I'm so blessed, O oh God, to be in a church, O oh God, that you have caused each one, O oh God, to have a heart for you, heart for the ministry. Lord, that everyone is involved. Everyone, or at least most are involved. Most are active, Lord. Most are taking part in this ministry, Lord. I am so blessed with this situation, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for giving everyone the heart, O oh God, to serve in this church, O oh God. And I pray that as we continue to grow as a church, that we'll see more people, oh God, more people involved, that no one is in the sidelines, no one is on the bleachers, oh God, or on the bench, oh God. Everyone is right in the court, in the middle of the court, in the game, oh God. Everyone is involved, oh God. Everyone is active. And Lord, if there's someone here who is not yet a believer, oh God, Lord, speak to their heart. Bring them to submission to your word, to your truth, to your gospel, Lord, that they will surrender their life to you, Lord. And accept you as their Lord and Savior. Because Lord, without Christ in their lives, they cannot participate, Lord. They don't have the ability to participate, Lord. Because it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to participate in the work that you've called us to do. So bring salvation to those who are lost. And for those who are here, who's live a Christian life, Lord, uh, without any concern for other Christians, oh God, Lord, change that situation, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Change the direction of my brother and sister's life. That, Lord, they begin to think of others. They begin to think of the lives of other believers. Just like the Apostle Paul, Lord. 
that Lord, he, des he desired to, to find out what's going on with the lives of the believers in those places that he visited initially, Lord. Let it be true for all of us here, Lord, that we will have this kind of concern for one another, Lord. And not just a few, Lord, but all of us. And Lord, that we will make an effort to encourage, to speak, to call, to write, or to text, or whatever means. Even here in this gathering, that we will make an effort, Lord. Change our hearts, O oh God. Let this church be truly a church that loves, because this is the only way, and one of the ways, one of the ways that expresses your love to one another. And the only way that people will know we belong to you is if we love one another, Lord. If we love one another. And so, Lord, teach us to do this very thing, Lord. Lord, remove any blinders that Satan has put upon our lives and upon this church. Open our eyes to what you are doing, O God, in this city. Open our eyes to see what you are doing through this church. And Lord, help us to participate, Lord. Help us to contribute, Lord, not just with our resources, but with our time, strength, heart, Lord, even our very life, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.